We've been working our way through this gospel of John, this story of John, this record of a man named John as he wrote as an eyewitness what he experienced being with Jesus, living with Jesus, experiencing life with Jesus, his conversation. So he records us these things so we get to see an eyewitness account. We've been working our way for about 31, 32 weeks now through this book, this letter, this narrative that John left us with. And uh, we find ourselves in John 8, starting in verse 30 today. So let's read this together, and then I just want to spend some time hammering away at the, at the different verses, opening them up, explaining them, and then praying for us that it would take root, okay? So let's read this first. John 8, starting in verse 30. Jesus had just, this isn't in the text, Jesus had just um, proclaimed to be the light of the world, and he taught through what that looked like. Then we have verse 30. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So here we have in this passage a trend that's been going on now since literally the beginning of John, where there is Jesus teaching the people, living in front of the people, and as a result, there's a growing hostility and a passion to have him silenced and maybe even killed. They want him removed. Of course, we know that's how it ends, in their eyes anyway, with Jesus, that he is silenced, he is crucified on the cross, he's destroyed. That's their agenda, to have him silenced. And here in this passage, we have Jesus teaching a crowd of Jews that had just responded in belief. But is this saving faith, is this genuine belief that is worship, or is this just a wowed attitude that is enamored with Jesus? There's a difference. According to John here, he points this out. And we'll see, I'll give you a little hint here as we unpack this particular verse next week. Look down in verse 59. These believing Jews, we'll see if this is believing, truly believing Christians here. As we see in verse 59, I don't think it is. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So what happens between belief and wanting him killed? A lot. It's going to take two weeks to unpack all of it. He's with these men who hear that he's Messiah and are convinced that they don't have to change and that they can still honor him as Messiah. And as Jesus unpacks who he is and what he expects and more about his kingdom, they realize, oh, he doesn't fit in our understanding and our 
expectation of what our king and ruler and Messiah will be. So they, they want to stone him. Okay? So that's where we're going. We're going to hit up the first part of this passage through verse 38 uh, today, and then we'll pick up next week with the remainder of it. So let's pray and ask Jesus to flex and reveal himself to us more to where we're just like, oh, yeah, and believe, genuine faith. Okay, let's pray for this. Lord, um, thank you for coming to earth on our behalf for us and repairing what we had destroyed, that is our relationship with your Father. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our wrong, for our sin, so that now we can be reconciled to your Father in an intimate relationship with him, and we can now see you as more than sufficient. We see you as more than a mere good man but we can now look at you and sing of you because of your power, of your grace, of your activity on our behalf. So Lord, I ask you to do more of that today. I ask you to be active on our behalf, allowing us to see, hear, understand, and be moved by truth from your word that no speaker can pull out of people or perform for people but that you must enter the hearts of all of us to change us, to truly change us. So may we not seek entertainment or bullets for our Bible belt, but Lord, would we pursue intimacy with you and would you break through the shackles of our performance and our moralism and our legalism and our fear and our insecurity and make us vulnerable to receive you and your truth so that we leave here with hope and assurance that we belong to you and that heaven is our home. Do this for us because we are absolutely insufficient and incapable of doing this on our own. We declare that to you and we ask you to help us. We're needy. And for those who don't think they're needy, may today, may we see all of us see our need for you. In Christ's name, I ask these things because I believe you, and I know that there's no hope outside of you for what I just ask. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go to verse 30, and then we're going to move on, okay? Let's, verse by verse, let's start our work. Verse 30, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Again, I thought, wow, this is wonderful, and it is. If it continues to grow into saving faith, if it continues to produce the type of genuine life in Christ and not just a, okay, I'm trailing with you, okay. But as we see, that's the type of attitude that's here is just, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm listening, tell me more, I'm not closed. Unfortunately, I believe that's all that there was for the majority anyway. So here's the test to see if their faith was real. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, he didn't say believed in him, I think that's a difference, they believed him, he says this to those who had just believed him, if you abide, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And... You will know the truth. So if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. 
And if you abide in my word, this truth that you begin to know will set you free. So there's a lot in abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. This verse shows that continuing to trust Jesus and continuing to obey Jesus is one of the tests, one of the marks of who are really, truly his disciples. Do you want to know if you're really in Christ today? Do you really want to know, am am I in Christ? I want assurance. Then consider these words from Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Truly my disciples implies here that John felt that there was a such thing as a false following, a temporary disciple. That is perhaps people that follow a teacher or a teaching for a season, people who claim allegiance to a particular group of people for their own selfish and personal agendas, not because they're completely buying in, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to my old life, and if I live now, I live for Christ, as Paul would say? Or is it that type of false belief and temporary belief that says, yeah, I'm living in, in Christ as much as, as convenient for my real life that I live for myself? And this is where I think most of us, we find ourselves in this tension. Have I really died to my life, and am I really living in Christ? Or am I trying my best to hold these two ideas together? My allegiance is divided and I'm trying to live this way. That's a very frustrating life. I hope that we'll see that through this text. This abide here, to abide in my word, this abide is is continuing to believe what Jesus said and to walk in obedience with him, in him, daily, pursuing him, abiding in Jesus' words, and abiding in Christ, as we see here, is a distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. A true disciple, the the only people who are going to be in heaven are true disciples. There is no other type of person that's going to be in heaven, that's going to experience hope after this life. You are a disciple of Christ and you live for him, there's heaven. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's hell. We don't even like to say that. It's so awkward and weird. That's what the Bible teaches. There's not a middle line. There's not a trying to hold two ideas together. There's not trying to live for my old life and live for Christ. To try to live for your old life is not to live for Christ. It's to die to Christ and live to yourself. Abiding in Jesus' words and abiding in Christ is this distinguishing mark that Christ gives us here. Authentic disciples have fellowship with Christ. They are in relationship with Jesus. They experience a meaningful, dependent friendship with Jesus. This is what discipleship is. It's pursuing fellowship, relationship, and friendship with Jesus. And you get to know him through the word. You get to know him through studying, just like we are today, taking a chunk of scripture and just learning about what he said and what he did and how he behaved and how he acted and doing likewise. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives us, through the unleashing of his grace as a result of his death on the cross and his resurrection. So as we become followers of Jesus and we abide in him, we certainly will find ourselves repenting because as we see our lifestyle and we see Christ, we see how we're trying this tension. We're like, man, I have not lived for Christ. I need to repent. I need to seek forgiveness for trying to pursue me. I need to pursue Jesus. And so I need to repent. And so a mark of a, of a, of a truly abiding disciple in Christ is one who repents this results in a growing trust in Christ. This results in a shameless confession of Jesus, of Jesus being your hope, of him being your comfort, of him being your savior. As you pursue this relationship with Christ, your lifestyle will begin to be molded more and more into Christ's likeness. You'll begin to follow the teachings of Christ more faithfully as you abide. And as you abide, you see the resulting, you will know the truth. As you abide in my word, you will begin to know the truth. The truth will begin to set you free from your pattern of sin. That is your old life. And you'll begin to be set free to what real living is. That's why it's essential to abide. Because it's through abiding that we know truth. It's through truth that we see freedom. Freedom not from authority, not, not like temporary like life freedom where there's no boss or nobody tell us what to do because only God can judge me, la da 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 But freedom from your sin, freedom from the guilt, the shame, the cycle of trying to please people and you disappoint people and you beat yourself up, of not matching up. When you abide, you learn grace. You learn as you study Christ that he died for you to repair the relationship between you and the Father so that now there is no condemnation of any sort for those who are in Christ Jesus. This happens by Christ living a perfect life and dying on the cross for you because you're not perfect. He lived a perfect life for you. Your sin that you do commit in your non-perfect life, he died for on the cross. He took your punishment for you. That's what Jason opened us up with, is that Christ is our propitiation, our wrath bearer. He took the judgment for us. So now there's grace. Now you can live without the fear. Because you see that he took the punishment for you. And now we want to know him because he saved us and rescued us. We cherish this time with him. We abide. And as a result, we'll see more of our sin, which is like the early detection of cancer. It's like, oh no, but hey, we got it early. You'll see the sin coming up on the radar. You'll be like, whoa, but it's forgiven. I can, I can seek, I can repent and seek forgiveness for this. This is wonderful. Thank you for revealing this. This, is, this hurts. It, it's got to change. But Jesus can do this in me. It's beautiful. The freedom in Christ sets you free from the guilt and shame from your sin, and it leads you to experience a loosening from the destructive pattern of sin, the cycle of sin. And so you experience this freedom from practicing sin. Consider Galatians 5.1. For freedom's sake, 
For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Abide. You begin to know Christ. You begin to know the truth. You experience freedom. And Paul in Galatians is saying, don't go back to the shackles of your sin pattern and your sin cycle that you've been saved from that leads to guilt and shame. Don't go back to that. Live to Christ. Verse 33. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. Do you know, do you know who we are? You're, you're talking to people who get it. We're good enough. Because our lineage, because of our ancestry, we are good enough. Because of our education, because of our background, because of our parents. My dad's a pastor, come on. A fourth generation pastor. We are of the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? We're already free. Like, become free? That's implying that we're in bondage. We're not in bondage. So they use their ethnicity to defend their notion that they're going to be good enough and able to escape the coming judgment because their bloodline. Jesus is with a group of people who believe, potentially believe his words and are tracking with him, but they're also convinced that they don't need to improve, but they're good enough. And so they begin to dialogue and like, you say we need to change, but this. You say we need to change, but this. You say we need to change, but what about this? And Jesus patiently dialogues with them. This is how so many people, particularly in the religious South, but really all across America, this is how we handle biblical truth. Day in, day out, Sunday in, Sunday out, we hear the gospel. Yeah, I know it. We hear about Jesus being wonderful. Yeah, we know. I got saved when I was five. I got baptized when I was six. I'm a good girl. I'm a good guy. I'm a nice girl. I'm a nice guy. I'm a religious person. I'm a good person. They offer these excuses, just as these men did right here. Abraham is our father. So what's Jesus' response? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, Jews and Gentiles, everyone, tall, short, rich, poor, black, white, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But we're the offspring of Abraham. Hey, everyone is in this. No one is exempt. We all have a sin problem. Our relationship to God has been broken. No one is outside of that. Doesn't matter if you're from Abraham. Doesn't matter who your daddy was. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. The son there, lowercase s, is the children of God. The sons and daughters remains forever. We are made sons through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've received adoption through Christ's work on the cross. It's the truth of Scripture. So what does that mean? Like the slave does not remain in the house forever. You see, slaves in this context were temporary. They'd work for six years and then be released during their seventh year. Only family could remain 
in someone's home for their entire life and experience the protection of that home. But with Jesus, you remain forever in a home whose father is God. You get to stay. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. At issue here is not so much the committing of these individual acts of sin, but remaining in a state of sin, having an unrepentant heart, a heart that hasn't been moved to repent and seek forgiveness for days, for months, and for years. When's the last time you've repented? When's the last time you said, you know what, I'm sorry for this. Will you please forgive me? I'm going to do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to never do that again. It's been a while for some of us. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. They're remaining in this state of sin. They're harboring unconfessed sin, hoping that it will somehow just go away without them having to confront it. And I feel like that's a lot of us. I mean, that, that's, that's me a lot of the time. Thinking that it's not a big deal. A slave to sin. That implies that you're you're unable to escape this pattern, this cycle of sin. Implied there, I think, also is uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You're following the, the prince, the power of the air. You're the children of wrath. You're, you're children of disobedience, of whom we all once walked in this way. So we're unable to escape this pattern of sin. We're, we're in this pattern of sin, this cycle of sin. So we don't repent, we don't confess, or perhaps even worse is that we have an apathetic attitude towards escaping the precious little comforts of our sin. And so it's been a, really, it's been a long time since we've even had that thought of, this is wrong, I should seek forgiveness. This is wrong, I should repent. We're just kind of numb to that altogether. Maybe that's even worse, like a spiritual leprosy almost, losing that feeling that something needs to change. Consider Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, I mean, this is the gospel, man. This is a good just gospel chunk right here. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba, literally, Daddy. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Hold that thought. Verse 35, the, how, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. You're no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, you stay there forever. You're an heir to forever with God. 
You're an heir to peace with the Father forever because you're a son. And you're made a son because of Christ's spirit coming in you. And Christ's spirit coming in you, the Holy Spirit, is a result of him dying on the cross, living a perfect life for you, beating death for you, being sent from God in the first place. It's incredible. Freedom from sin is not this innate characteristic of religious, good, church-going people. It's not something that just can happen because we are good. Good, yeah? Moralist, legalist. We keep the checklist. But this goodness is only a gift of God available through Jesus Christ, the perfect son. This freedom comes through Christ not being good or religious or seeking to be perfect on your own. And we see that in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's almost like he's saying free, really free, for real. Like seriously free. Free from guilt, from shame, from the controlling power of this cycle of sin. Free. Verse 37. I love this. Kind of subtle here. I like the way John records it. I read it like this. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. I like, I like to read it that way. Like, because they're like, we're, we're of the lineage of Abraham. We're the offspring of Abraham. I, I know that. I'm Jesus. I, I know where you come from. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. To use a word that's been used already, my word does not abide in you. It can't find a place. It's like wet tape. It doesn't stick there. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Notice the capital F implying deity, lowercase f implying Abraham. I care. I'm here trying to help you. Hear me. I'm sent from the father. See why I'm here. You do not truly believe me. Your eternity is at stake here. You are sick. And I'm the doctor sent here from the Father to take care of your disease. Your disease of unbelief in the fact that I'm sufficient. You do not believe that. Your disease is believing that you can live a godly Christian life without repenting and confessing and believing in me. You think that you can live life without me? I'm here to help you. And as we see in the later passage here, they pick up stones to kill Jesus. I would urge you to pray for the Spirit of God to work in your hearts in such a way that when the truth is spoken and the gospel is proclaimed, that your heart is like sticky tape and not wet tape and you say it sticks. Yes, I believe that. I, I hope that's true. I'm living my life as if that were true. I'm in. I pray that the Holy Spirit works in us all in that way. The word was spoken, but their hearts did not receive it. 
Do you see now why we pray? Again, we pray at the beginning of the, every time we preach for the Holy Spirit to work in us. Because otherwise, we're these people making excuses, thinking about lunch, thinking about hockey, thinking about what we're going to go to the park later, thinking about the crock pot overheating, thinking about our dogs who need to be taken out, thinking about our kids who are in the nursery. We're thinking about all these other things. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, bring these thoughts into me. Focus on me. Hear me. Hear my truth. That's going to set you free. Be concerned about what needs to be concerned about right now. Truth. My prayer is that, that God's word finds its place in our hearts today, here, right now. For many of these, I'm wrapping up here. For many of these, we see their faith was not real. Their faith wasn't genuine. Jesus spoke these words as a warning to these religious Pharisees. Today, it's spoken as a warning to everyone who hears it. Let's not just think about the Pharisees back in the day. Let's think of us. Think of yourself. My fear is that you would hear this and think of someone else who really needs to hear this sermon. Or even worse, that you can't even remember what it feels like to have sinned and experienced conviction because of your sin, and then that conviction lead to brokenness and repentance and forgiveness. I fear that for us. My fear is that you've grown numb to the hundreds of sins that you commit each day. My fear is that you've grown numb to the hundreds of sins that you commit each day. And how long has it been since we've repented? How long has it been since we've seek, that we've sought forgiveness? And we sin hundreds of times a day, a hundred times even before walking in this room this morning? When we, when we grow numb to our sin and we kind of let it find its place in us, we lose focus of the fact that Jesus is epic in our life. It's a good use of that word. And we lose focus that there's really no reason to sing of grace because after all, we're not big sinners. We're not murderers. We're not rapists. You're kind of deceived into thinking that you're okay, that you're good enough. The gospel says there's no such thing as good enough. There's no such thing as okay outside of God's saving grace provided through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not okay to receive the Lord's salvation through his son's work and his life, death, and resurrection and not sing of grace and not experience joy even in the very midst of suffering and trials. Hear this truth. Today. Believe this truth today. Jesus is only and always epic. He must be the number one in your life. He must be that one person that you have to meet with today. He must be that one person that you must meet with tomorrow. If you don't do anything else, spend time with him. He must be honored with your thoughts and your actions and your reactions. 
Jesus is Lord, and we must live like it. But I'm convinced that we do not practically believe today that Jesus is a big deal. We want him to be a big deal when we get really sick, or when we come close to death, or when we age. That's when he's going to be a big deal. But now, here, today, in the here and now, we're comfortable with this small, insignificant, Sunday morning only Jesus that is controllable and manageable. This Jesus Jr., to to call him this, will never have us be inconvenienced. This Jesus Jr. will never ask us to do something that will require humility, risk, faith, or change. This is how we live our lives. Most of us in the South primarily live this way. Professing Christians, the majority... Studies say that over 85% of this nation professes Christ. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is deception to live this way. Living this way is why so many thousands of people have walked away from Jesus in the church. That's not a Jesus worth following. Jesus Jr., who doesn't ask you to do anything? I was born with hunger. I was born with craving. And I learned early that food satisfied my hunger. I learned that all too well as a kid, especially. I knew that food would help me and satisfy me. We all experience hunger. We're all going to leave here and go eat something somewhere. Unless you're on a fast from food. We're going to go eat because we're hungry. We have something that needs to be satisfied in our bodies. Well, you can look at pictures of food today. You can walk in restaurants. You can read the menu. You can smell the wonderful food. You can sit with others as they eat. You can even cook your own food. You can study nutrition in college. And you will be malnourished and frustrated with your life because you aren't experiencing the wonderful feeling of having that hunger satisfied. Your joy and fulfillment in this life is directly tied to the regularity by which the hunger of your soul is satisfied with intimate relationship to God through Christ. Again, your joy and fulfillment in this life, joy, fulfillment, something that we seek in this life, is directly tied to the regularity by which the hunger of your soul is satisfied with intimate relationship to God through Christ. Jesus died to bring you into intimate relationship with God. You were created for this relationship. Your life is craving this relationship right now. You need Jesus today, every day. 
My prayer is that you will hear this and be convinced that Jesus is what you need and that you respond to him, live for him, believe him, trust him. He will not disappoint you. You see, we have this hunger and we reach for all kinds of things. Women, sex, pornography, men, security, home, money, car, bigger home, nicer car, better paying job. Being noticed in Music City, having a stage, finishing my degree and getting what I desire, getting all this stuff, fighting not to ever be overlooked or dismissed. That would be hell. We have these cravings and we go after these things. They leave us unfulfilled, ultimately unfulfilled, empty, and still on a search. We are utterly disappointed. And it will happen every single time. Nothing satisfies like a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Nothing satisfies like a relationship with God through Christ. There are dozens of us in this room who are seeking fulfillment and joy in other things called idolatry in the Bible, other than Jesus Christ. And we're satisfied. Something's not right. We don't know what it is. And we consider our life a struggle. We consider our life disappointing. Or another way of looking at it is if if the people around you, particularly those closest to you, would change, you'd be so much happier. If, if you had something else that you don't have right now, you'd be happier. Okay, sure, but, but for a season. There's still going to be that emptiness later. You see it all the time. People who have what we would consider everything are miserable. And how is it that you can live in a hut in Africa and have nothing? Nothing. You're naked. You have nothing, and yet those are some of the happiest people, the most fulfilled, joyful people you will ever meet. They don't have car keys. They don't have house keys. They don't have wallets. They don't have a refrigerator packed full of food. And you go there and spend time, and you will sing with them in their church gatherings, and you can tell they believe it. They can sing nobody but Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because he is all they have. Consider this. And I pray that this somehow works inside of you to push you to Jesus. That's all. Man, if you were just to, to take another Step and make momentum towards Christ. He says, if you draw near to me, I'm not going to push away. I'll draw near to you. My prayer is that you would just, through the preaching of this text this morning, that you would just take a step towards Jesus and say, you know what? I don't know it all. Good. That's great. I don't like hanging out with people who know it all. Okay? God knows it all. That's good. Hang out with him. Right? You don't know it all, but hey, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in to know more. Yeah, yeah. Don't be deceived that you have to be clean and perfect and then get to Jesus. 
Jesus helps make you that way. And don't think that you have to know it all. Don't think, man, I've got, to have, I've got all these questions, all these doubts, all these thoughts. Like, Good, keep those. Go to the Word and see them answered and see your faith grow. Don't try to figure it all out and then jump into Jesus. Press into Christ today. Pursue this intimate relationship with Jesus today. Read the word. Abide in this truth and see your life become free. Something that you have longed for but never really thought it was possible. You've grown to be old enough to see that life is a disappointment. But you get here and you experience this joy and fulfillment that you couldn't experience anywhere else. I dare you. Trust Jesus and believe him. Respond to him. What do I do next? Pick up a Bible, take it home, and start reading it. Read the book of John that we're studying. Just read it. Read it every day this week. Write down questions. Talk to me. Talk to those that you respect in this room. Say, hey, man, there's something going on. I don't know what it is. I want to read John like you said, but there's something happening here. I'll pray for you, and I'll, I'll be there to help ask some questions and help answer some questions. And there's people in this room that are in friendship with you, perhaps, that would love to get in on that journey and dig with you. That's what church is. It's a family. It's kind of like a community. It's, you're supposed to ask. It's the place where it's okay to be needy. It's wonderful. It's expected. So I want to pray for those who are believing and trusting Christ and who would consider themselves Christians who now see their need to repent and pursue intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I also want to pray for those who are outside of Christ but perhaps are taking a little nudge, just a baby step towards Christ today who are just saying, I, I'm not pushing away. I'll, I'll read John this week. And I'll tell somebody that I'm reading John. I'll tell somebody that I'm kind of digging in here a little bit. I'll do that. I want to pray for those two groups of people, okay? Jesus, would you work in our hearts on our behalf? Lord, would you have those who are outside of you get in? And would you have, Lord, those who are in Christ and who are found in you, Lord, would they live for you? Would they live in you? Would they experience this growing freedom that comes from a greater knowledge of your truth, that comes from a, an experience day in, day out, practically speaking, of abiding in you and your teaching and your word? Lord, if you did this, our lives would be changed. We would experience such freedom. Lord, our, our friendships with each other, with our dad, with our mom, with our son, with our daughter, with our brother, our sister, our aunt, uncle, neighbor, church friend, boss, employee. Lord, all these friendships will begin to take on a different change as we personally trust you more and abide in you and your word. So God, would you do this for us? Would you help us? Would you push us on towards this as we pursue you little by little? Lord, would the access be known as a place where there's freedom given to a pursuit of you? And Lord, would we be patient to see people respond slowly, but respond? Lord, would your grace 
be poured out across your people today as they respond to you. In Christ's name, I ask these things. Amen.